If it goes right, it's a slice. If it goes left, it's a hook. If it goes straight, it's a miracle. This is Out of Bounds. If it's happening in the world of golf, we're talking about it. Coverage, debate, discussion, pro golf and local golf. Let's do it. This is Out of Bounds. And here are your hosts, Nate Sharman and Josh Derso. All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Out of Bounds podcast. Uh, Josh Derso, Nate Sharman here. It's been a couple weeks, but we are back because it is Ryder Cup week here on the podcast. It is Ryder Cup week everywhere. Uh, we are now mere hours away from the start of the Ryder Cup. Uh, even fewer if you're over there in Europe. Uh, Nate, how do you, how are we feeling? How are we feeling in this buildup? Josh, isn't it funny that you think about any of the, any of the majors, right? And we have this, this buildup all week, right? And then we get to Thursday and we finally play some golf. A little bit different for the Ryder Cup. We have to wait till Friday. We got to wait that extra 24 hours, uh, for the guys to play some golf. Um, it's, it's just so exciting. It rivals some of the majors, how big the Ryder Cup is just with, with the feel and the aura around it. So I'm really looking forward to that, Josh. But we got to talk about the Solheim Cup first. Oh, uh, the women. Yes, we do. The women competed over there in Spain, Team Europe versus Team USA, and it ended in a draw, 14 to 14. Europe retains the Solheim Cup. They have now won three straight. Um, so I guess technically Europe wins, but um, yeah, they t- end up tying 14 14. And it was very close towards the end. It shouldn't probably have been that close the, uh, after the first session. Uh, that started about one o'clock Eastern time. So by the time I woke up on Friday morning, the Americans were up four nothing. They won all four matches in that uh, Friday morning foursomes. So I was or four foursomes, yes, foursomes. That's correct. And I was like, "Wow, okay, this is this is interesting." But then, or then uh, Suzanne Pedersen's crew over in Europe kind of clawed their way back into things, got it to be tied nine nine going into that Sunday's singles match, and then fourteen fourteen uh, finishes it off. Um, the Americans looked to be kind of in control, probably about halfway through on that Sunday's single match. And then some matches flipped over. Caroline Headwall had an amazing finish to her match with a bunch of barrage of birdies on that back nine to take down uh, Nelly Corda. But um, yeah, it was quite the exciting uh, weekend for women's golf, Josh. A lot of fun to watch. Yeah. Also, you know, just the the storyline to have that as our our precursor to the Ryder Cup uh, with it literally coming down to the final few holes that were played that day. Yep, incredible, sure. incredible stuff. Um but the looming debate here, of course, is all about ties. How should ties be handled in events like this? I know I have feelings. What do you What do you think? Yeah, it's it's just tough because you, you tie a fourteen to fourteen, and and some of the emotion falls out right about about drawing right. And you know, Europe should be very excited to retain the Ryder Cup and, and therefore win the Ryder Cup in my mind uh, with that tie. But a lot of people were talking about a playoff, and should we have a, a playoff at fourteen to fourteen? I probably lean yes. I I. I don't like to shoot out in hockey. I, I don't like penalty kicks in soccer. So I lean, you know, I lean, try to figure it out on the the field, right? For those sports, with the, in this case, it being the course. But how would you do a playoff, Josh? I mean, you have 12 players. How do you navigate a playoff, a sudden death playoff with 12 players? Do you nominate a couple players to play in, in the, uh, the playoff? Do you do that before the tournament even starts? Does the captain make the decision at the end of the match? How, how would you go about it? I think the the sensible solution would be a sudden death playoff with a couple selected players. So if the captains wanted to pick uh, whoever was on fire at that given moment, they could pick them and run it just like a traditional sudden death tournament playoff. Um, the agent of chaos in me 
wants to see like a everyone's included sudden death playoff and last man standing for whichever team is the one who actually wins. Go back to number one and just eliminate people one by one. As as Wait, is it twenty four some as pars and bogeys, just treat it like a a Sunday afternoon at a Muni golf course. Just what if the captains played playoffs. each other in a playoff? That would be kind of fun. That would be interesting as well. That would be very interesting. Although, although I think the quality of play might deteriorate a little bit if we see captains play. I don't know, but me on the PGA Tour, you have you know you would have Luke Donald versus Zach Johnson, two guys that are still playing on the PGA Tour, so it would be good golf. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it would be the quality of golf we'd see if, say, like Victor Hovland and Scotty Scheffler were going toe to toe. That's fair. Yeah, um, if I was Team Europe, I know who I would put out in that. Um... In that playoff, you're, you got to have Leona McGuire, who played just fantastic all week. She was only two and two. So if you look, take a look at the outline numbers, she wasn't huge, but she had some really big moments. On Friday afternoon, she chipped in to beat Lexi Thompson in their match um, on 18. And then she beat uh, young phenom Rose Zhang four and three on Sunday. And um, if you weren't able to watch uh, the Solheim Cup, Leona McGuire is is just this really intimidating person because she wears she wears these dark sunglasses. You can't see her eyes, Josh. And she is just almost has shows no emotion. So she's very much so of like a silent assassin type. She just makes putts on you, chips in and, and doesn't really show a lot of emotion. Kind of someone like Patrick Canley a little bit. And that's just someone that's so hard to play against, Josh. It's it's so much fun to watch, too, watching uh, this woman just hoop putts from everywhere and chip in to, to win some of these matches. A lot of fun to watch. Another person I would pick is definitely Carlos. Carlos. This week from Spain, which is very cool. Hometown girl also cleared her cup Sunday's match and get four points for her team. So pretty cool stuff uh, that hometown really get it done. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that's where you'd end up going with whoever had the hot hand. It would make for the best yeah. television. It would make for the best experience all the way around. There's yeah, for no sure. And, and Rose played very well in that match, too. It was just tough to beat uh, McGuire uh, in that match. Uh, she was pretty lights out. What did you make of the uh, shank herd around the world? Uh, Lexi with that shank, I believe it was on, was that on Saturday? Uh, yeah, it was either Friday. I think it was Friday afternoon. Friday. Cause I think it was in that match. Cause it was in that McGuire match. I believe yeah. uh, McGuire chipped in right in front of her. So she makes four on that part five. And Lexi is just short of the green in kind of that rough area to a short pin. She's just basically got to get up and down to have the match essentially. And she ends up shanking it down the down the green and, and makes five and, and loses that match eventually. It was a very challenging shot that Lexi had. Kind of a little touchy shot. She was just short of the green to a short pin. So definitely not an easy one, but definitely disheartening to see. It's It's been a tough road for Lexi this season, it seems like. Uh, definitely tough. Yeah, and then she took some heat afterward for the way she handled the press conference um, when the question was thrown at her. You know, I thought the criticism of, of the the people in the press room asking her about the shot was a little bit unwarranted. You're an athlete. Yeah. You hit a bad shot. She's bad hit, shots happen. Yeah, she's hit bad shots before. It's not going to be the last shot she last bad shot she or anybody hits. Um, just own it, move on from it, live life, and and that sort of thing. But it it got a little yeah frustrating. I agree. It's, as a journalist, someone knocks it in front of you that. for birdie. You see, watch someone chip it in, right, to, to essentially make birdie and possibly win the match. And then you have this touchy little chip. It, it's it's easy. To, it's easy to blade shank that one. And, and I don't uh-huh. I don't necessarily blame her. So I'm on the side with you, Josh. Yeah. One more um, thing we got to talk about the Solheim Cup, though, is a negative part. And this is courtesy of the fan experience. Um, person that was there, Caroline Scott uh, at Totally Caroline on um, 
on Twitter. The golf at the Solheim Cup has been spectacular. The logistics and the organization of it all have been horrendous. Running out of food, coffee, water, completely oversold with nowhere near enough seating for enough for the number of people here. It's actually a health risk. And she goes on to, to, to thread a bunch of more tweets there. Josh, this is really something t- tough to see. Uh, it looked like a lot of fun, especially on that first tee. Um, a lot of younger golf fans, uh, women too, just getting really excited for these matches about to go out, music playing, and just everyone in a good mood. So I was feeling really good about the Solheim Cup until I saw this tweet. Uh, definitely something that yeah, you do not want to see, especially with how much um, traction women's golf has gained, especially this season. Yeah, women's golf is exploding. It's getting more popular by the day. You've got these personalities that people are are resonating with and attracted to and want to actually like go see, spend their money, and people can't spend their money. <laughs> and the experience yeah. is lousy. You just got to do better. Like if you're you're organizing a tournament like this or any tournament moving forward, you you have to learn from this and never let this happen again because the number one way that you're going to erode the progress that is being made through television ratings and through uh, hits on social and, and reach and all that is by making the actual on-site experience abysmal. What was the number one thing that you and I took away from attending uh, the PGA Championship up here at Oak Hill in Rochester? It was the experience on the ground. The experience on the ground was incredible. Awesome. That is what people remember. And that's what people remember far longer than they remember anything else. And that's what's going to be the difference between when they, you know, discretionary income is hard to come by for a lot of people. And a lot of people who are going to events like this, you know, it's a once a year occasion, maybe less than that. So to have this be the experience for the people who went to this, it hurts because the next time that comes around or the next time they have the opportunity to go, they're going to think of this. They're going to say, eh, I don't know if I want to spend all that to, deal with that what i dealt with last time that hurts yeah, that's tough yeah i i can't agree more josh um that that's something that i, that I hope they figure out and then and for the next Ryder cup uh, that's gonna be coming up uh yeah. let's talk about let's talk about the Ryder cup now as we just uh put a bow on the solheim cup for the season it's Ryder cup season josh um we're we're pumped and ready to go here at out of bounds um i've been waiting for it ever since that yeah. fedex cup playoffs is over yeah we i feel like we've been talking about teams and how this is going to play out uh, and now it feels like an absolute eternity has passed. Yeah. And it's here. It's actually here. It's finally here. So let's do a little a little recap on uh, kind of what the Ryder Cup is and and uh, what we're talking about. So a team match that started in the early 1900s, Ben, it was purely dominated so, uh, by the U.S. early in its in its um in its creation. And then they added the rest of continental Europe in about the set in about the seventies. And then you had like Seve Ballesteros come on the stage and, and Europe started to take back some cups too. So, but been pretty even, you know, since that, then adding in, in the mid seventies. So uh, let's talk about some of the matches on Friday and Saturday. Um, we'll feature four ball and foursomes matches. The foursomes are in the morning and then four ball or four. Yeah. Foursomes best ball is in the afternoon. So you have four matches in each session, four matches in the morning and four matches in the evening. You may ask, you may say, well, that's only eight players. And that's correct. So you only have eight players in each session playing out of the 12. And there's no rhyme or reason about Friday and Saturday about who plays. So you could see a player play four times. You could see a player play one time. It doesn't exactly matter. you got to put your best players out there and, and have kind of a plan, which I'm sure every captain and vice captain has at this point. So yeah, all players on to play. And then in case of a tie, we already talked about it. In case we get that 14-14 tie that we get at the Solheim Cup, this time, the USA will retain the cup as they uh, won last uh, last time at Whistling Straits in that dominant fashion. 
And finally, um, there's this is all pride. There's no winnings on the on the line for either team. This is all uh, if your team can take back the Solheim or the uh, Ryder Cup. Excuse me. Uh, that's really all you can do. Put it in your trophy case and and flags fly forever. So no no winnings in this one. Which is the way it should be. All pride, yeah. nothing more. Yeah, I, I think they take care of them in terms of um, lodging and and stuff of like course. that. Um, Dan Rapport, uh, Barstool Golf, was talking about the, this course, and it's it's about forty minutes outside of Rome. And uh, he said that there is a, I think there's a hotel or some sort of lodging right on site for all these players. So yep. they only have 24 players instead of the, you know, the huge matchups where their players are trying to find Airbnbs and hotels and stuff. So they're able to accommodate uh, these players, which is pretty cool. Yep. Uh, and now we need to take a look at this uh, golf course. I, I don't see anything too terrible here. Like when I look at this golf course, when I look at the preview, when I look at some of the videos that I've seen come off off site, doesn't seem that bad. Like, yeah, there's been a lot of rough videos, Josh, which is interesting at Marco Simone, but it, they, they've showed some of the rough and, and it's been, they've shown like, you know, rough 40 yard, 30 yards off the fairway. And right. that's something that's, you know, they've showed almost like Heather style rough and that rough is going to be long. It's going to be penal if you hit it 40 yards off the fairway. Right. And, but the rough right off the fairway doesn't seem bad. It seems graduated. And um, that's, that's really interesting too. Um, I want to go over to a tweet here from from uh, Joe Joel Bell on on X uh, talking about the um, Marco Simone observations as he's been there a little bit. And um, I'm just going to take a look at some of these last two points here. The first six, seven holes are volatile. You have some short holes and some big, some longer holes that could really sway matches early on. But what's really pointed out to me is is the ending here, the ending of Marco Simone. 16 through 18, you have a you have a drivable par four. And you have some really good theater holes coming down this stretch too. So I, this is a really fun match play course. Uh, they've talked a lot about how this course is really, really good for the Ryder Cup, and I think it could be some really good theater down the down the hills, especially on Sunday um, as we get into the, those final single matches, singles matches. Yeah, I, I again, I think this is a this is an interesting golf course because it isn't like a U.S. Open golf course. It's not going to crush anybody. Um, like you said, you have to hit the ball way offline. I saw a couple rough videos that basically showed there being like four layers of four gradients of rough before you actually get to that that heather. Um, yeah, it, it's good. It's good. I like that. I, I still lean toward some of the comparisons that I saw uh, a couple months ago to like a Bay Hill. It feels yes. very much like a Bay Hill to me. Just looking at right. pictures and videos and stuff like that. That's interesting. Um, I think that also benefits the Americans a great deal. Great deal. Yeah, definitely. Um not to get too much into it, but yeah, I think so too. Um, you you have some Americans that can hit the ball very far and, and some that can hit it straight too as well. So you have a little bit of yin and yang and that's aspect. Uh, let's get into pairings at this point at time of recording here on Wednesday morning um, yep. here in the U.S. We don't have um, who's going to play against each other yet mm-hmm. on Friday morning. So we can only speculate, but I, I think the Americans are, are pretty nailed in of what they're going to do. Uh, you're going to see that speed JT combo. They've been very good in Ryder Cups and, you know, they're, they're good friends. So that's, that's something that's going to happen. Uh, Cantley Xander, another one where these guys are very good in team events. You see him play in the Ryder Cup, the Ryder Cups before, President's Cups before, and they've also played uh, in that uh, Zero Classic as, as a team too in the past. So Homa Morikawa, uh, Homa's a Ryder Cup rookie, but they played together in the President's Cup. They both went to Cal. So they're two good, two good buddies and two uh, good play styles to play against each other. And that final and one other group, not the final one, but one other group would be Scheffler and Burns. We've talked a lot about how Burns got himself on the Ryder Cup, and uh, we've all kind of come to the conclusion that uh, Sam Burns is on this Ryder Cup. 
because he's a very good putter. He's, you know, in the top 10 and I'm putting and strokes gained uh, on the season in, PG, in the PGA tour ranks. Um, Scheffler, we've do- documented it time and time again, not a very good putter. So uh, we'll see Sam Burns kind of join in Scheffler. They've all, they're also sort of friends too. So that's another thing that we, we can get to right with the boys club, but um, Burns and Scheffler are probably going to play together. Kepka and Harmon are probably going to play together. That's another thing that's been kind of thrown out in pressers and, and practice rounds by, by Captain Zach Johnson. I wouldn't be surprised if, if those are the groups on uh, Friday and Saturday. Yeah, I mean, I, a couple notes to that, I guess. I, I've uh, been seeing some talk on on X, formerly Twitter, that, that Scheffler's been working with a, a new putting coach over there, uh, doing some different things on the, the putting side. Maybe he can finally get that ship righted and we can see a Scotty Scheffler who can actually putt uh, decent. Doesn't have to putt great, just putt decent. And he'd be a completely different golfer. Um, You know what? Like the one thing that I'm not crazy about is that Brooks uh, Kepka, Brian Harmon pairing. That is not one that I would put together. I don't feel like that meshes well. Um, You know, I'd like to see just looking at some of the stuff online so far, I'd prefer to see a, a Brooks Wyndham pairing. And then, you know, I would I would lean into having your your short guys be short. I would put Harmon and Morikawa together and let the chips fall where they may. Yeah. I, I think it would suit them better playing together. It's like this isn't a scramble. Like we're not going out for a charity scramble here. Like let the guys who play similar games play together and get around the golf course together. I think from a psychological standpoint on the golf course, it's far better and more valuable to have a teammate in that two-man environment who plays a similar game to you than for Harmon and Kepka to be together. What's Harmon going to learn from, from Kepka? I don't know. Like what can he gain from him and what can Kepka gain from Harmon? I don't know. Like, you know, this isn't a scramble. That's kind of my one takeaway from looking at, you know, some of the chatter about like who might play together. I, I don't necessarily love the idea of just throwing, you know, well, this guy doesn't hit it a long way. He definitely needs a bomber with him. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Well, maybe Brian Harmon will probably, and maybe in that, that, that group that, that we think are going to play together are going to play foursomes. And that doesn't really matter because you're playing your own ball at that point. Right. So maybe right. you'll see Brian Harmon not play in the alternate shot um, at all. You, you could, there's, I could see a scenario where he doesn't play Friday morning or Saturday morning. Yeah. I mean, what, uh, if you could create a, a dream two man, who would it be out of this, out of the, the U S field? On the American side, um, oh and then man, we'll do the same thing for the European here. side. Do you have one? I'll, I'll let you go, and then I'll I'll think of mine while you're going. <clears throat> yeah, you know what? Honestly, I I think it would be something like Scotty Scheffler and Xander Shoffley. Honestly, yeah, I think I Scotty I agree with, and then I'd probably put Brooks with him. Not gonna lie, uh, Brooks oh, yeah. Brooks is a very very clutch putter, and especially in these big moments, right? He can really get up for. He's often talked about on on various podcasts how he doesn't really care about the other tournaments and and whether that be live or the other PGA tournaments that he's played in the past. They don't matter that much. And I would put the Ryder Cup in that same category as the majors, right? He gets up for this and and we we saw it Oak Hill. He's a very good putter in those big moments. As a uh fellow fast golfer, I would uh not like to see that pairing happen because good I think point. Brooks might be climbing the trees because Scotty Scheffler does not play very fast. Then put him then put Scotty and Cantley <laughs> together. How about that? <laughs> oh God. Uh, okay, so what about the European side? When you look at the the European uh, players, what's your if you've got like a, a dream combo to put together? Uh, who would you uh, juggernaut style put together? Um, Hovland and Rory would be my would be my juggernaut style. I don't know the European side is so much harder to think about who's going to play together. 
because as Europe has done over the last bunch of Ryder Cups, they they are all kind of meshed together and they and they can kind of anyone can kind of play with anybody. And as we'll talk about uh, in the later in the show here, I think Europe has a, a stronger top eight than the Americans. So you can kind of go either way. But, yeah, I'd probably lean on that Hovland McElroy pairing as uh, two of the, the bigger guns. Right. I would actually go with Hovland and Aberg. And only because Aberg has sort of captured the moment, I think he's got that that momentum right now. And I think that would just be a juggernaut just because of what we saw Hovland do over the course of the last three events of the, the FedEx Cup playoffs. I I'm interested how much Ludwig Aberg is going to play because he's been just fantastic lately, as a lot of the Europeans have been good. Even like Shane Lowry is rounding into form, um, playing over in, in Europe in the last few weeks. It's going to be really interesting because this European team is very good, and they and they're a lot of the reports are that they're very cohesive group too. So this is going to be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, and we're going to get into predictions here in a little bit, but my my early thought is that Aberg needs to play a lot and be a big part of this team if they want to win because of that because of how weak the bottom four are. Yeah, and and I think it's a little bit of a de- developmental thing too, right? Because Aberg is going to be on Ryder Cups for the next what, 10 year, 10, seven to seven to 10 Ryder cups. I would be, <laughs> wouldn't be surprised. He's only 22. So the, the yeah. chances of him playing into his mid thirties on the Ryder cup team and being that villain, right. That, that Europe, that Europe is looking for after losing Poulter and, and Garcia to kind of aging out and, and to live. I think um, it's, it's going to be really important for them. Yeah. I mean, we could be talking about Aberg being one of the best players in the world in just a couple of years here. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. That's, and and there's no, one doubt. thing about Aberg too, I don't, we haven't even talked about is he's, he broke a record already, Josh. He becomes the first player to ever play in a Ryder Cup, and he's never played in a major before. Yeah, it wasn't too long ago that he was teeing up in in the Big Ten in the Big Ten uh, tournament, and now he's playing in a Ryder Cup. Uh, pretty pretty cool rise for Ludwig Aberg. Um, it's pretty awesome to see. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what do you got for us as far as TV coverage times? Why don't we run through these just so people know uh, when they can see things start to happen this weekend? Yeah, Mike's well uh, run over to your Alexa, run over to your iPhone alarm because you're going to be setting some alarms if you want to watch uh, some of the some of this golf. Some of it will kind of pop up into the regular TV window, but most of it, you know, with the time difference over in Italy, it's going to be it's going to be a lot different. Um, Thursday, we have the opening ceremonies, which which is kind of fun tomorrow at 10 a.m. Uh, I'll be able to tune into that. We'll get the Ryder Cup going. And then Friday morning, the first tee shot will be hit at about 1.30 Eastern, Josh. Um, we'll, we'll start that Friday morning, you know, shot going. I would love to see it because it's fun to watch the first tee and how bonkers it is, but it's yeah. going to be hard for a lot of us people here on the East Coast to, to get up for that um, and kind of go through it. But that second round, the second session on Friday will start around 6.30. So, um, you know, right after it's done, they take a little break and they go right back out for the other round. So it'd probably be done at about 12 or 1 o'clock uh, by the time they, they get it all wrapped up on Friday. Same schedule on Saturday, 1.30 and 6.30 start um, for uh, those groups. All off the first tee, no no tenth tee or anything like that. So we, we go right in a row, four matches each uh, session. And then on Sunday, the singles start about 5.30 Eastern, so a little bit later than um, we've, we've been seeing on Friday and Saturday. And then you have 12 groups to go off, so it took, takes a little bit longer. They all go off the first tee in a row. So um, we'll be really, really interesting to watch. Um, we'll see if we can get that alarm set um, for, for real early on Friday and Saturday to see how much golf we can catch. Yeah, and then I I won't even be able to actually watch the the Sunday action. I'll be running a marathon, so I'll miss the entirety. The marathon starts at six thirty in the morning. I'll miss the basically the entirety of Sunday singles. How depressing is that? You might have to have uh, PJ Tour Radio in your uh, AirPods as you're running that marathon, Josh. That that might be the move. Uh, <laughs> okay, so let's talk predictions. Uh, what are we seeing? What are we thinking? Has anything changed? 
Not much has changed for me, Josh. I'm still taking Europe. I, I think, like I said earlier, Europe has the better top eight in my mind. The U.S. The U.S. is deeper, but I think Europe on home soil, a place where U.S. has not won in 30 years. The last time they won a Ryder Cup in Europe was 1993. Um, so I, I'm sure that Zach Johnson's throwing that number around and, and trying to get these guys, you know, going here. But I think it's going to be close. And I'm, I'm giving you a number on it too, Josh. I think uh, Europe wins 15 to 13, and they win the 2023 Ryder Cup. Wow. Wow. Um, I feel like we could have a tie. That's kind of where I sit now. And it's terrible yeah. because I don't want to see a tie. I think the only thing that stands out to me or that's really changed um, is I think momentum is really important. And the momentum that Aberg has as a player right now should not be sat on because of his youth. I think you capitalize on that. I think you take that energy and you throw it out there early and often. You play him, you play him, you play him young. He'll rebound. Uh, even if he's not perfect, I think it'll be a net positive to have him out there as much as Team Europe possibly can. Um, I'm sticking with my pick that Team USA is going to win this thing, though. Uh, some way, shape, or form, I, I want to see it. I think because it is the deeper team, like Team USA is definitively the deeper team. I think if all of our players play the way we expect them to, we win this thing and we're talking about a, a small victory, a, a small margin victory. Of course, if Justin Thomas goes out and plays like a dog, we'll be having a completely different conversation next week. So this might sound silly, Josh, but I think if the U.S. wants to win uh, this Ryder Cup, it kind of falls in the hands of Captain Zach Johnson. And I'll tell you why, because I think they need to play the under the underdog card. They are technically the favorite uh, over a very, very small favorite on DraftKings this morning. I checked they're minus 110. So about even money for each team. But I think they need to play the under the underdog card. Zach Johnson needs to tell his guys that, you know, that no one believes in us. We see this all the time in football, right, where, where coaches are able to kind of get their players jacked up for the game. Golf is a little bit different. You don't have as much raw emotion, but we need to play into that card of, you know, we're the better players. We need to find that villain energy and try to take back this this cup that we haven't won in enemy territory in 30, seasons, 30 years. So they need to try to find that energy within them to find that because they they could they are the better players. I believe that. They have the better top 12 than Europe. So they need to find a spot where they can really energize themselves and energize themselves as a team to beat this European squad. Yeah. I, I don't I I don't disagree. I think from a strategy standpoint, it would be easy for Team USA to kind of get lost in the, you know, we're we're better. We're the ones who are going to go out and win this. Um, you know, when you talk about bulletin board material, I think there's plenty of bulletin board material for this team. Just look at Justin Thomas. I mean, that's pretty much as far as they need to go. Um, you know, a lot of people were basically saying that this team is definitively worse with him on it. Well, if that's, you know, use that as fuel this weekend and and go get a W and prove all the naysayers wrong, right? Yeah, they yeah, I, I like that what you said about Justin Thomas because he needs to play well, I think. Because first of all, you have the naysayers. And then if if this if they do lose, and and I think if it's close, it's they maybe not as talked about as much. But if they lose in embarrassing fashion, I think we need to go back to the drawing board in terms of America and figure out, you know, we have this point system. We didn't take the guy who was ninth in the point system this year. Let's figure out, is this a boys club? And the answer is, is answer from my spot is yes. Um, I guess you'll, you'll kind of talk to the, some of the higher ups in the Ryder Cup and see what they believe. But we need to kind of reevaluate how we're doing this. Uh, should Keegan Bradley should have came? Maybe should Cameron Young could have should have come? Probably. But we'll, we'll talk about that more so in next episode, Josh. 
and we'll yeah. see what the result is. But if they get blown out, I guess, in enemy territory this weekend, I think a lot of people are going to be saying that. Yeah. And, you know, another golfer, uh, you know, Lucas Glover. Uh, Bryson, don't forget about Bryson. Bryson Nishambeau. There's another one. Like there are plenty of golfers who were quote unquote on the cusp, but not necessarily, uh, you know, really considered when push came to shove because it was, as you said, uh, more about how close were these guys rather than how well did they play this year? Let's give uh, Zach Johnson a chance though this weekend. Um, I'm I'm really saying that that that's only going to be in my mind of the conversation if if they kind of lose by more than I don't know three or four points. Here's the thing though, I I don't think that's a criticism of Zach Johnson. I think that's exactly how any captain would have handled it because that's pretty much how Team USA has been built since what like the 2012 2014 years, right? So like this has yeah. been the process now for like around a decade. I think that's just you know. It's not it's not a reflection of of Captain Zach Johnson. I think it's just a reflection of where uh, Team USA is right now from a personnel standpoint, everybody who's participated and what needs to change moving forward if they're unsuccessful this weekend. I would say even if it's a small loss, I think you still really have to re reconsider here because looking at how all of these players played throughout the entire year and how good a golf, how much good golf was played by some of the guys who aren't on Team USA. I think it's really hard to make the argument that Team USA couldn't have brought a team that wouldn't have been successful this weekend. But that's well, that's a conversation for another day. Um, we got some legal action. Adidas taking legal action against uh, Liv for essentially copyright infringement, trademark infringement, um, basically the hash marks right? Is that, that the, the, the issue is the hash yeah, marks the they lines, too yep. similar to the, the hash marks of the Adidas logo. Um, what are your thoughts on this? I, I, this is just hilarious to me because again, I, I hammered live early on for how terrible their branding was and how corny their marketing looked on social media, especially. And this is like one of the things that if you have your stuff together from a marketing standpoint and like, this is buttoned up, like all of that is considered before you even get to final versions of your your marketing and your logos, like all of this stuff is considered. Yeah, we've we've seen where Liv has gotten in trouble for a couple of different parts of this. Um, it looks like you know, as reported by Nuclear Golf, um, they say it's it's unlikely that New- that Adidas even really has a case in this and and win a case. I would be surprised if you know if Adidas goes through with this and tries to and even files a lawsuit. Right, we're only taking that they they're taking legal action, but they're trying to block it. But um, it, it's just really interesting because if you look at it, it does look similar, but it is it is probably different enough in a way, Josh, you know, looking at the picture right now between the Adidas logo and the Live Golf logo, they are a little bit different, but it is interesting to see that uh, Live has taken some some legal action. Yeah, Adidas. I mean, it's a, it, you know, it's noise probably more than anything else. Uh, and we've also got some equipment news. Uh, what we have, this was also reported by Nuclear Golf, wasn't it? Uh, Taylor made tidbit. Yep, another nuclear golf uh, report for us here. Uh, Brooks Kapka, we know we played in the Live Golf Chicago last week, and you know, kind of got himself around the golf course, right? And then, and then he headed over to uh, Spain or to Italy, excuse me, to try to uh, get ready for the Ryder Cup. And we saw him practicing with a TaylorMade Sim Two driver and an M Two wood in his bag. And Josh, we've talked a lot about TaylorMade and the Stealth line too, and how it just kind of hasn't worked for TaylorMade. Josh, I know you have a lot to say about this because uh, you're not a big fan of the Stealth, so uh, let's hear it. I took so much heat last year when I said the stealth driver was the worst driver I'd played in the previous like six years. And I 
played all of pretty much all of the tailor-made drivers all the way through after the stealth that's when i switched to callaway and i pretty much became exclusively a callaway driver guy but I, it, it's not a surprise i i've heard amateur golfers say it i've watched now we've got colin morikawa another rider cupper he's been playing a sim all year rory was so frustrated with his stealth two driver that he canned it brought it back then things seemed to be okay, but his driving was pretty inconsistent throughout the year in terms of what what he wanted out of it. And it seemed to be an equipment issue less than a, a real uh, him issue. Um, you know, and I think the more glaring, like everybody's going to focus on the driver there because of course the, the imagery of 2023, you know, the carbon wood era being, we're deeply in the carbon wood era uh, of, of Brooks Kepka swinging a sim two driver with a team usa hat on that imagery is powerful you know taylormade spends a lot of money on their marketing and a lot of people say that their success uh selling golf equipment is largely tied to how much they spend in marketing and not nearly as much and how good the product actually is but far more far more powerful i think is an m2 fairway wood that is an m2 three wood um i'm looking at the picture right now we're talking about a fairway wood that's five and a half years old, six years old. Yeah. That's old. That's gosh, more importantly in that picture. What do you think of that mullet that Brooks Kepka's got got going? Him and Sam Burns both have a mullet for the Ryder Cup. Victory flow? Love it. I'm here for it. <laughs> it screams freedom, it. right? It's I'm here for it. Um <laughs> I know. What do, you, what do you think? I I know I kind of go off on a on a tangent there about equipment, and I know you aren't you aren't quite as passionate about it as I am. But um, that's got to be a bad sign for Mar for TaylorMade, no? Yeah, it definitely is. You know, we've seen this isn't like you mentioned Morikawa, you mentioned Rory. I think Nelly Corda did some some of the similar thing too for, with with TaylorMade, kind of got getting away from the stealth, you know, and that's something that's really scary if you're TaylorMade, right? And uh, we've heard so much about this carbon wood era and and not to really get on and beat a dead horse like what, what Taylor made here. I'm just interested to see what they do next year. Do they go back to something similar to the sim? Do they have another carbon wood? I'm, I'm really interested to see what, what Taylor made comes back with next season. Yeah. And I completely forgot about the Nelly situation. That was the more recent. Yeah. That was only like titlist, a month right? and a half ago where she switched back driver, to Titleist. Right? Which you want to talk about. You know, this is a, a bit nerdy and maybe a, a, a little bit of prejudice on my side here. But, you know, when I think about who's advanced the most in the equipment game on uh, with drivers over the last, you know, six to eight years, Titleist is like way down on the list. So for Nelly Corda, basically the, the best uh, women golfer in the world to switch from the what had been viewed as the number one brand in, in drivers over the last 10 years to or five years to titleist is just whoa that is that's saying something yeah if we if a spokesman from any of those any of those companies wants to come on and talk golf um that would be awesome i think that'd be a lot of fun <laughs> we could talk about the golf line and kind of what they're thinking is i think i think that would be a really cool interview for us too especially uh with us nerding out a little bit on on the equipment side of things you know it's kind of surprising actually to me just from that standpoint is like seeing how uh active and forward tailor-made has been historically with their marketing that they've essentially opted to ignore all of these instances that have happened over the last i mean we're talking now like six months six eight months basically the entirety of this season because the rory stuff happened very early and to just not do anything with it like 
make a joke about it, you know, get out in front of it somehow, you know, say you're going to do better. It's not going to hurt sales. It's not going to change anything. Like I think, you know, TaylorMade obviously spends enough on their marketing that it doesn't really make a huge difference on, on sales to amateur golfers, but man, just, it, it's a, it would be a very interesting conversation because I would love to hear what TaylorMade's defense would be of what they've done now the last two years and how, you know, you have professional golfers who have essentially opted to bypass the Carbonwood era. Colin just decided, she said, nope, there's the off ramp. I'm not, I'm not taking it. I'm going to keep going down the freeway. Oh, I would just tell them to play better. So it's probably good that I'm not one of the uh, (laughs) spokespersons. All right. Hey, that is going to do it for this edition of Out of Bounds. Subscribe to the show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram as well. And of course, if you're getting out there playing this weekend, you know the drill. Whether it's down the middle or out of bounds, keep on swinging. You've been listening to Out of Bounds. If it's coverage, debate, or discussion of pro and local golf, we'll be talking about it. Be sure to visit the website. Find us on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. See you next time on Out of Bounds.